This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome, everyone. It's Joan Hamburg, and my guest, Sam Sifton, is someone I always admire. I always look to read him. He makes me hungry. He makes me happy. Whenever I read anything he writes, I feel like I have to cook it or eat it, and that's a great gift. And Sam has worn many hats over the years for the New York Times, and still... Do you still love to cook? Oh, yes. I love cooking. It's one of the great reprieves of, from the stresses of modern life to be able to you know, just head into the kitchen, blinders on, and, and make something delicious for people I love. It's the opposite of you know what I'm doing all day with my brain and writing and interviewing people and talking and managing and all that stressful stuff that is also fun, but you know, you want a break from it. And uh, I find that break in the, in the kitchen. And I, I love problem solving in the kitchen. I love producing the food. Uh, and I love most of all serving it. And do you have an eating family? They love to oh, eat. Yeah. They'll experiment. Absolutely. It's been that way since they were very, since the kids were very small. I worked, as you know, I worked as the restaurant critic for the New York Times for a number of years when my children were small. And, I, you know, I would take them. They understood that variety in, in uh, eating was going to be a big part, was certainly a big part of my life and was therefore a big part of theirs. And they, I think they, they thrill to that still. They're young adults. Uh, they, they're very adventurous eaters. Um, you you know, and two, restaurant reviewing and talking about to me that always seems so hard because you you had to wear speaking of wearing many hats many hats and i i don't know how you you did that one of my favorite stories arthur schwartz you remember arthur the food maven of course and arthur would say don't tell anyone I'm here. I say, of course I'm not going to tell. Don't tell anyone. And I walk into a restaurant, and there was Arthur sitting at the bar, and I hear him saying to the bartender, I'm Arthur Schwartz. And (laughs) I got such a kick out of that in case the guy didn't know. So That's hilarious. You know, at the times we were pretty – uh, hardcore about trying to remain anonymous as, as restaurant critics. And, and I, you know, that's, that's pretty tough for someone like me who likes to talk to people and who asks lots of questions and who, you know, uh, is, you know, now I've got a fake name and a fake credit card and I'm pretending that I'm someone I'm not in, in order to in, enjoy this meal. And yet I'm asking all these questions that only someone who really, really, really cares about food would, would ask. And, you know, am I getting made? Am I not? Um, it's, I'll tell you, it, it is a hard job. It's a lovely job. Um, but 
it's a much better thing to be the former restaurant critic than the, the restaurant critic. You get to you get to dine in the restaurant and really kind of be yourself, which I like. Well, th- that's good. But and then in the early days, when a lot of um, critics would bring a, a whole bunch of people with them to, to eat all that food and taste it, I would always wonder how a waiter or the guy in the kitchen would not know. He would have to, or she would have to know with the whole crowd ordering everything on the menu. Well, I don't know, Joan. I I used the crowd to hide myself pretty effectively a lot. My favorite guests were always people with big personalities who would draw the attention of the staff, draw the attention of the, you know, the maitre d's or the captains or the waiters or, or indeed the, the chef. Um, if you want to dine anonymously in a New York City restaurant, go with a criminal defense attorney. <laughs> that person is going to draw attention. And then you can, you can kind of gauge the meal in, in you know, relative anonymity. Do you find that things, Sam, have changed over the years? in terms of the way people look at food, view food, what we eat? Oh, absolutely. I've seen the change. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I guess I'm, I guess I'm getting to be an old man, but not yet. I remember when, um, <laughs> no, it's really been interesting to see that the, the attention to food, the interest in food has changed dramatically in the, whatever it's been 30 years I've been doing this um, where in the old days, you know, there were probably 400 restaurants that mattered to the elites of, of New York um, 30 years ago. And they were largely uh, European restaurants, largely French uh, and then later Italian restaurants. Um, Now the sheer diversity of cuisine that, that is on tap for us in, in New York City with our whatever it is, 20,000 restaurants. Right. The interest of the critic goes way, way beyond um, stalwart restaurants of upper Manhattan. And, and it, it spans the five boroughs. And, and people just are famished for literally famished for all kinds of different um, foods. And uh, they like to talk about it. They like to take pictures of it. They like to put it on Instagram. And, (laughs) you know, that kind of um, culinary literacy was not really around (laughs) decades ago. I'm sure. And, And we love to follow our restaurant critics. And how do you decide when it comes to food or a recipe or something you're going to cook, what that's going to be. Do you make lists of things you want to try or what? Well, you know, I, 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 I don't eat out as much as I used to. And the pandemic, of course, brought many, many more people into the kitchen uh, than were in there before the pandemic. They were, they were forced to, to cook and learn to become better cooks. And so the list of restaurants I used to keep, you know, restaurants I want to try, became instead recipes or sometimes just ingredients that I wanted to to mess around with or experiment with. And that would lead me 
down various rabbit holes on the internet or with social media or indeed with with cookbooks in the physical form. And then I'd have lists of recipes I wanted to try. And 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 that's how I'm doing it today is is there something I ate in a restaurant that I'd like to recreate at home? Is there a condiment I want to mess around with and see if I can develop a recipe for? Is there something I found in an old cookbook? Um, and I, you know, the old saw has it. There are only like 11 recipes in the whole world and everything right. else is just adding stuff onto it. But even if that's the case, I still, every day there's, I'm, I'm fascinated by one idea or another and, and I want to, just give it a try. Do you find that restaurant food too has changed a lot? We know in terms of diversity and thing, people want to eat everything or many people, but has that changed too? I think so. I mean, we have, again, diversity plays a role. You know, we can be we can be eating Malaysian food on Monday and Alsatian food on Tuesday and then want to get some Russian food on Wednesday and Sichuan food on Thursday. And that's really, that's really cool and exciting. There's a broader palette um, for, for us to paint with. I'm mangling this metaphor, but um, there, there's tons of stuff that's out there. I'll tell you what about restaurant food, though, that I learned coming out of the pandemic. Holy cow! These these portions can be gigantic. There, we've all commented on that. Huge! It's just unbelievable. I think like I spent a lot of time cooking, you know, seven days a week, and developing a kind of distant cuisine or whatever that we were we were eating and loving and enjoying, and then. I think my first meal uh, after all the lockdowns was at a steakhouse, was at Keen's, which I love, and I got the mutton chop, and this thing was the size of an airplane. <laughs> I, I think I fed off that thing for three days. Mm. Was it delicious? It was so delicious as to, I, words almost failed me how thrilled I was to be eating food prepared by someone else that was just awesome. And this is no knock on Keens because it's true of all the restaurants. That good feeling lasted until the bill arrived, and I realized, holy cow, restaurant food's expensive. <laughs> no, and it's become more expensive, but I'm always amazed at not only how many people eat out, but how many young people eat out. And mm-hmm. right, no matter how expensive the restaurant is, I always comment on, look who's at the bar. Look at all these people. They're young yeah. and they're and, spending know, big I, bucks. I, I, you know, no one goes into the newspaper game expecting to make a good living. To be right? rich, it right. Is, it is pretty amazing to walk into, you know, the restaurant of the moment and see the entire place filled up with beautiful glittering young people spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on food. And you think, gosh, what, what, what life choices have they made? That, well, I know. And I always think I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Right. You know? <laughs> or put another way, what life choices have I made? 
That's exactly right. How many of us have to share the dinner to make it possible? <laughs> so, you know, something we we never used to do. But do you have it in your head what you want to eat for the day or oh, anything like so that, or it's chance as chance can? I, I think I, I spend more time than your average bear thinking about what the next meal is going to be. Yeah. And I'm not above discussing at any particular meal what the next meal is going to be in the middle of lunch. What are we going to do about dinner in the middle <laughs> of dinner? What am I going to do about breakfast tomorrow? So it, I, I, I can have a kind of fixed idea in my head. I can wake up thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to have X or Y, or I can just ponder it on the subway on the way to the newsroom um, and then daydream in meetings about maybe I'll go get a sandwich or a miso soup at lunch. It's, it's great to, I don't know, it's a, it's a great daydream for me. But when it comes on strong and I know I have to have X or Y, it's kind of magical. The human brain is just incredible. This summer, I was... I, it just entered into my head. I don't think I had had a Coke float, like a variation oh on the root gosh. beer float. The so yeah. root beer float is too sweet for me. I think root beer is too sweet. Coke is perfect. Coke, vanilla ice cream, wax paper cup, long plastic spoon, and a straw. And I don't think I'd had that in 20 years, and it popped into my head, and I had to have it. How was it? Had to. It was unbelievably good. There is something about the carbonation of the Coke and the, and the softening of the ice cream that creates a kind of like a, a, a drinkable foam at mm. the bottom at a certain point during the consumption of the Coke float. And I mean, I was like, that, this is the greatest decision I've made in 2023 <laughs> to consume this thing. I did I not feel that way 45 minutes later, but in the moment. It was, was there. So fantastic. It was there. But look, I mean, you have that ability to make us feel that way. And that's like a gift. I had marked your um, fried chicken biscuits with hot honey butter. They weren't yours. They, I forget no, who they were. Tejo, right. The, the, that's an, when she first brought, she had been developing that recipe. It's essentially a fried chicken sandwich, right? Oh, on, sounds on, so on a, good. On a biscuit with this hot honey butter. And she brought mm. a couple of them into the newsroom. And I ate one and I thought it just trans, oh. it transported me to like a summer field. Suddenly I was sitting on a checked blanket. It was just amazing. And I've made them since. They travel really well. They taste fantastic. And um, that's one of Tejal's great recipes. And it's on New York Times Cooking for all to read and, and make. Right. All the good. You even made me want to make turkey on a roll, but I'm a thing. I have a thing about turkey. I'm, I don't like deli turkey. You know, okay. I like real turkey. But you did a deli on a roll with Swiss cheese coleslaw and you fixed up the Russian dressing. Because I, if I make Russian dressing, I do the ketchup, but I yep. never think of sour cream and hot sauce, which is what you added to it. Yeah, I add a little of that to lighten it up a oh, bit. Oh, good. Um, 
and to, you know, get all the benefits of the ketchup with none of the downside. And I'm 100% with you, by the way, on, on, on deli turkey. It's not the same as real turkey. And we have a recipe um, on New York Times cooking for uh, what's it, a ma- it, it amounts to like a sous vide turkey breast. It's from right. uh, the chefs at the old Teresi Italian specialties. It's mm. the same turkey that they serve at their restaurant parm for their turkey sandwiches. Oh, yeah. And it, it results in this incredibly moist and flavorful breast meat that makes for um, just a bonkers sandwich, um, oh, especially with, so with coleslaw and Russian and Swiss. So good. On a bulky roll. Yeah, it sounds delicious. Does your family have a favorite? Like, it could be, what do you guys want? Anything you want, I'll try to make or get. Um, again, I think, you know, the acorns didn't fall far from the tree. They're like you. They're like me. They'll say, hey, I, I have an idea. So the most recently, this wasn't even for me to cook. Most recently, the my younger child said, let's go to Rollin' Rose. And we piled in the car and went to that great uh, Sheepshead Bay institution where you get a, a, a roast beef sandwich dipped in gravy and served. Oh, on I a used soft to roll. love that. Oh my goodness! Uh, so I know, good. and not easy to find. I mean, I love that roast beef sandwich you just described, but you can't get it everywhere. You got you got to go to Sheepshead Bay. There are a couple uh, places in Sheepshead Bay where you can get it. Brennan Carr has the sort of upscale, not upscale version, but the but grown up a, version. Yeah. And Roland Roaster is more the like high school kid version. And they're both from Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. They're both excellent roast beef sandwiches. Um, and you're right. Outside of those two, I can't think of other places. Too many other places right, where you can get can it. Find one. Well, as soon as the weather changes a little bit. We'll be back to Sam Sifton turkey, which <laughs> no matter how many times I make turkey, cook turkey, think about turkey, because when I grew up, every Friday, my mom would make a turkey, just oh like a goodness. snack. And that she was obsessed with feeding this family. And boy, she overfed for years. But turkey was an extra little goodie on Friday. And oh, it that's would always great. I wish be I'd there. grown up in your home. That's oh, fantastic. you would have liked it. <laughs> they that's ate great. a lot. And every, to this day, I love turkey. You know, where people will say, oh, turkey's so boring. To me, a fresh-made turkey breast, if it's seasoned right, is delicious. But then so many it's- other things we love. That's true. But, you know, people, I think it's, a, people say that the turkey is boring, but they order turkey. They, turkey as a, as a deli meat is, I think, near the top of the list of, of right. meat Americans order. Uh, so I think it's just crazy. And I, and I also think, you know, that it'd be great if more people were like your mom and cook turkey more often. You know, this notion that we cook turkey only at thanksgiving or at maybe at christmas if you're of british descent but the bringing turkey into your regular cooking rotation like roasting off a couple turkey thighs for, right. for a for a meal is so fantastic braising some turkey legs mm, so, so good. right 
and we always had delicious lunches. My lunches mm-hmm. were the envy because it was fresh turkey. And I'll tell you what else, which I'd wake up as a kid and the smell of hamburger would be drifting through the house. And my mom would make in a big iron pan, incredibly juicy, delicious hamburgers, and then smoosh them on white bread so that all the juices saturated the bread. And that was school lunch. And people would like gather around my lunch bag. What did Thelma make you for lunch today? You know, sort of drooling over that. And to this day, I dream of that. I very rarely make it, but mm-hmm. it was such a good childhood, delicious food. I loved it. Are your kids great eaters? Yeah, they 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 they're trenchermen. They 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 do well at the table, which is which is really exciting. Um, and you know, they've been off at college, so when they come home. You know, college today, they spend a lot of time not eating meat, not eating exactly. Gluten. But then they come home and I and say, they want what, do you want? what do you want? And they're like, we do steak tacos. And <laughs> 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 we make a feast. No, I know. And I, I would sometimes say to my kids, but when they'd say, why don't we have that? And I'd say, but you don't like that. And mm-hmm. my son would say, it doesn't matter. I want it. We had it as kids growing up. I'd love to have that. It's all the persistence of memory. Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, Eat memory. It's it's absolutely true. We're always trying to capture the flavors of of the past. Isn't that something I know? And it makes it special. Pancakes. Um, my mom didn't make them from scratch. She used Aunt Jemima. The box. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't remember anything more delicious as a breakfast. I've and... been make I make I, I, I keep a sourdough starter. I'm not religious about it, but it it's always there in the fridge and I can bring it back to life. Mm. And one of the things that I do for, for pancakes is maybe on a Friday night after dinner I'll take a, a cup of the starter and combine it with a cup of regular flour and maybe put a little sprinkle of sugar on that um, and mix it around and then let it sit overnight. And it creates a kind of sponge that I can use as the base for uh, either waffles or or, or pancakes. And the flavor that, that is delivered by that sourdough starter that I barely take care of is intense. I mean, it's just great. You think like, wow, feels oh. almost healthy eating it. My gosh. Well, now you're making me hungry again. The one and only Sam Sifton, he'll tell you what he's going to have for dinner on Sunday or whenever, <laughs> and more important, how to make it. You made me want to make shrimp and grits. Oh, excellent. So, excellent. Well, that recipe's on New York Times cooking too. Right. It's all there. Thank you, Sam. We'll talk to you soon. It's almost Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, I look forward to that, Joan, our Thanksgiving tradition. I know. Take care of yourself. Regards, and we'll talk soon. Great. Thank you. Um, Bye. My pleasure. I'm Joan Hamburg, Sam Sifton from the New York Times, and of course, you're always part of it. Stay tuned. 
You're listening to WAVC, and there's lots more to come.